Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Vodka O'Clock. I'm your host, Amber Love. Don't forget that you can pick up my Farrah Weathers Mystery Series in places like Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Um, if you need the links, of course, they're on amberunmasked.com. And you can also support my work and this show by going to patreon.com slash amberunmasked. So don't forget that if you are looking for older episodes, they are archived at amberunmasked.com. There's a podcast link in the hashtag cloud thing. So uh, you should be able to find those without a problem. So it's been quite some time since Stephen Blackmore has been here on Vodka Clock. And we're going to talk about the supernatural action stories filed under urban fantasy and noir that uh, he has this, the Eric Carter series, among many other types of books and stuff. So the latest Eric Carter book is coming out in a matter of days, folks, days. That's terrifying. Um, isn't it? Yes. It's like February 7th, right? Uh, February 7th. Yeah. February 7th. All right. So Steven's here and we're going to get into all the details, maybe some minor spoilers, maybe just because we're talking about details and fun stuff, but nothing that ruins the story. So sound good? Works for me. Awesome. So um, I'm so glad that you could find the time and me too. come back on the phone. I, I, I had fun last time and uh, and just like talking to you. So it's all good. Yeah, we... We have a great time on Twitter, so um, it's one of those just delightful kinships that you know, tw- you know, for all of Twitter's problems, it you know. It hey, you know, with without it, I would have far fewer friends that I have never met in real life. Yeah, I mean, it's so true. Like, and even I think like your wife and I follow each other on Instagram. Like, it's weird uh-huh. how these things happen. But um, yeah, well, when like ninety percent of my Instagram is cats. So. <laughs> Well, that that would be one reason why then. Yeah, yeah. It's like cats. Oh, yeah, I should promote my book. Here. <laughs> so that happens. Um, so Eric Carter. Uh, okay, so we're on the third book. It's mm-hmm. called Hungry, Hungry Ghosts. And so from what I know of him as like a, a person, he's a regular human being, but he's a necromancer. And he's got this interesting curse at the opening of Hungry Ghosts, and there's uh, I just want to hear this backstory about how he got into this sort of marriage curse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, what can you tell me about Eric Carter huh. here? Well, I don't, obviously, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil not just this book, but the other two, but there, there are going to be some minor ones just to, to kind of set the tone because you can't really talk about Hungry Ghosts without talking about uh, dead things and broken souls. Uh, so Carter is uh, – he's a necromancer in uh, from Los Angeles, dead things. He comes back to Los Angeles to figure out who's murdered his sister. Uh, his parents died 15 years ago. He left town under a cloud because he ended up killing the murderer, and that caused all sorts of other shit to happen. And he's finally come back, and uh, while he is doing this, uh, he finds himself making a deal with Santa Muerte, who in in real life is a uh, folk saint – uh, uh, largely you know, based in Mexico, but uh, it's it's a huge movement, um, one of the biggest growing religions now. And you know, Santa Muerte is is uh, known mostly uh, from from an episode of Breaking Bad to a lot of people. Uh, 
she tends to be uh, worshipped by, well, a lot of people, but one of the ones that, that people actually seem to lock onto is the whole narco culture uh, in in Mexico. And that's not necessarily – that's not all of who it is, but it, they, they are a big contingent. Um, that's wild because I think the first time I saw the imagery of her and had it at least given a name – I mean I'd probably seen it before – was in like a Batwoman comic. Okay. Yeah, and I watched Breaking Bad, and I don't remember this. For yeah, I, was, I don't know. Something something got somebody's head stuck on a turtle. but Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Um. So I, I used uh, Santa Muerte as as a chief antagonist, and he he ends up uh, making a deal with her where she wants to uh, link his power to hers, and essentially use him as her gopher. He understands death and can do certain things uh, around that. He can see ghosts. He can talk to them. He can influence them. Um, and she is an avatar of death herself. So he ends up kind of up against the wall, doesn't see any other options, and takes the deal and finds out that what she meant was that they are now married. So, Yeah, so you've got to be really careful when you're signing contracts yeah, with um, yeah, ancient clear. goddesses. Yeah, be clear be on clear. what exactly you're getting into. Yeah. Uh, he's not good at that. Yeah, get it in writing. <laughs> uh, he's really not good at that. Um, and so uh, he ends up figuring out that Santa Muerte was actually behind his sister's murder. But now he's in a position where he can't really do anything to her. Um, and also vice versa. The, the, they're sort of linked together to a point where there's a, a kind of this, this standoff. So he is – he is uh, now Santa Muerte's husband. Broken Souls, the second book, uh, goes a little more in detail in that, and he ends up uh, finding that it's more complicated than just that he's married to Santa Muerte. He has uh, – and, and this, this is speculation in real life, but I did this in the book. Um, there are uh, Miklan Tequitli and Mictecaswatl. Uh, I know I'm mispronouncing both of those, uh, are the god and goddess of death in Aztec mythology. One of the stories that goes around is that Santa Muerte came out of Mictecaswat, and that's not entirely true. There's stuff coming over from the Spanish and all that, but what I did was uh, used in, in, in the books – uh, they're the same. Uh, Santa Muerte is just a, a more modern incarnation for her. And okay. as as the story is going on, because he's, he's, he's spending the book trying to find ways to get out of this deal. Um, and he comes to find that uh, Miklan de Quitli, the the god of death, isn't actually out of the picture. And they're supposed to be married. So he runs into this bizarre kind of uh, uh, weird cosmic logic where he is now becoming uh, Miklan Tequitli slowly. And it's good for him that it's slow because one of the things that's happened is that Miklan Tequitli has been turned into a jade statue and stuck in a tomb in Miklan, the Aztec land of the dead. So Carter is slowly turning into jade. Uh, and that's – and that – 
pretty much is is you know the first two books and there are some betrayals and somebody he thinks he understands turns out he doesn't and that ends up uh that that's where the third book uh opens uh where he's actually down in Mexico looking for this particular person who can help him get into Miklon so that he can go and track down both Mictekiswat and Miklantaquitli and kill them both because they've been they've been kind of maneuvering him saying hey if you kill the other one your problem will go away and so he doesn't know which one to believe so his solution is you know what i'm just going to take them both out fuck them right um and that's and that's where hungry ghosts starts and it is a uh uh largely a journal a journey through miklan uh and parts of mexico and uh there's much violence and yeah, a lot of violence and swearing. There is. There is a there lot is. of swearing. There is, and I loved that. I love that. I'm like, oh, he's just like he feels like a, like such a real person. Um and so but but that's the thing, like the violence that you you bring up, it's like it opens with that and the the narco gangs um Carter has this very sort of like punisher quality where, you know, he has no problem killing bad guys without giving a shit about due process or anything. Mm -hmm. He's like, look, you're a, you know, a a shitty drug dealer. I'm just, you know, or you work for one, whatever. I'm just going to kill you right now. Um, So how does he get away with it for three books? Because I do love the magic, the, you know, he's, he's got these spells that he can do. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, how how does he go through three books? And and, and the cops haven't actually done anything to him. Yeah. The, the, I guess the the world of the mages that Carter is part of is that kind of hidden secret, nobody talks about it kind of thing. So you have this community of mages, and they are they are trying to keep themselves secret. And one of the biggest reasons for this is none of them trust the others. So you know they okay if I, I if I rat this guy out somebody's going to come after me. And if something happens where the secret comes out that, you know, magic is actually around, um, we might have to share with, you know, normal people. We don't want that. They're, they're kind of, they're kind of like a magical equivalent of the one percenters. Um, uh, and, uh, so Carter. So even because it was, you know, the one gang leader, um, obviously had his own, mm-hmm mage skill right so it you know so it was interesting like did did all of his like minion guys were they also mages um no okay yeah and and, and that's things so there aren't a lot of mages they have yeah because i got that feeling like yeah there's like three necromancers in the world and apparently the one is a, a real douche bro or something yeah yeah he actually he actually uh uh, this all started in City of the Lost, which is the first book I did, and then then went into the Eric Carter series. And there are characters from that who are in the Eric Carter series. And uh, that particular necromancer got killed in that book. So every once in a while, I'll toss in a little reference to him just because you know I wanted to. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, really, the reason he gets away with it is with magic and what they can do. 
because uh, it, it's not you know big rituals and you know they have to necessarily slaughter a goat or something though that sometimes is required. Um, it's kind of hard to keep them in jail, and you know you lock the guy up and then you turn around and he's walked through the wall, you know things like that. And so um, there's there there are things in place where they don't really worry about it that much. Um, mostly because they they maintain that that hiding uh ma- maintain being hidden um from the rest of the world as much as possible and and sometimes it's not possible uh but then at that point you know they try to scuttle back into a hole somewhere and and wait until the the trouble blows over um well he's you know he's in this process of turning into jade so that's obviously something that's visibly yes. noticeable yes well he also has and he also his eyes uh his eyes were black right yeah. his eyes at the end of dead things because of the the deal he's made with santa muerte his eyes have begun become solid black so uh he's going around with sunglasses all the time even at night because you know somebody looks at him and they freak out when they see his eyes and he and he's trying to main he's not he's not so much maintaining a low profile as just not wanting to deal with annoyances. And I think that's a lot of sort of the mage's attitude toward pretty much any authority that isn't theirs. Uh, police, eh, fuck them, you know. Okay, well, they've got a, there are a bunch of them, they've got guns. Okay, then, then I have to do something about this. Um, but there, there's a, there is a bit in, in the book where uh, where he mentions that uh, something like uh, mages, by and large, are fairly agnostic. Even though we know that there are gods, we also know that they're all assholes. And mm-hmm. and that's kind of and that I, there are many. You know, oh, yeah, that there isn't yeah. there isn't one place, right? One one right path, mm-hmm. and there's many many underworlds and many heavens, and you know. Yeah, and um, and that's kind of their attitude toward everything. Um, and, and so he can't he can't really have a normal life, no, you know, no. as he's turning to to Jade anyway. Yeah. I mean, and, there's that there's that problem, but even before, you know, throughout his life, and uh, um, you know, the 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 way the way I've looked at it is, here's a guy who lost his family when he was twenty, went on the road and disappeared for 15 years and has this ability that most people don't want to associate him with associate with him because of um you know death death freaks people out and for him he's got such a different relationship to uh to death and dying that he doesn't he doesn't see it the same way um, he knows he knows that there are souls. He knows that there are afterlives. So he's not too concerned. So he ha- he doesn't he doesn't really get broken up about killing, but he does have a problem with suffering, and uh, and it shows up in a couple of scenes in in Dead Things as well. Um, so with just with that and with the magic in general and wanting to keep certain things secret, there are complications. Um, you know the the dating pool is very very shallow <laughs> <laughs> and uh which which he comes sort of comes back to l a uh to find 
because his uh, ex-girlfriend is there, and he has no idea really what to do with that situation, and she's moved on, um, and he really hasn't, and not just from her, but from everything. He kind of he kind of like hit twenty, disappeared, and everything kind of stopped for him. Um, and I think in in Hungry Ghosts, um, his attitude, especially from the start, is he's just pissed off. He's he's not doing anything because he thinks it's the right or good thing to do. He's doing it because things are in his way. Um, he's been he's been bouncing. Uh, throughout Mexico, tracking people down who might have seen this person that he's looking for, and they keep directing him into other direction, uh, other uh, to other people, and so on. And um, he has no compunction about about killing them. Um, you know, he's just at, at this point, he's just pissed off. Anything that gets in his way, he's going to remove. Um, and and that's really more. I see it as he's had enough and his anger is talking, not necessarily that that's who he is. He may not have a problem killing, but it's not kind of the kind of thing that he just goes around, you know, shooting people for fun. Um, so he's, he's, I hope he's complex, fairly complex, but uh, he can come across as kind of simple. Well, it was, um, like when I was reading through this, it gets he gets complex because he keeps questioning every decision that he had firmly made. Like he was like absolutely dead set, like this is my plan, this is what I'm gonna do. And then throughout these you know couple hundred pages, he's like he's like no, this is not. Maybe I should do this instead. And he keeps going back around, and the thoughts keep going through his head, like. Maybe this way. No, maybe her. I don't know. So, um, and, and one of the particular uh, catalysts there is this Tabitha character. Um, they're very connected, and then he makes them more connected with a spell of handcuffs, which was really funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I thought uh, I thought that was a, a, a nice touch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but Tabitha is is different because from my understanding, she was already dead. Whereas he's actually still alive. Like he's an, he has this power with the, you know, all of the different ghosts and, and things mm-hmm. that he can do, but her power is, it's totally like, it, different. yeah. And, and it's, and it's, I kept that deliberately vague. Uh, because he doesn't, he knows he's being lied to. He doesn't know who's lying. He can't tell which lies are, are lies and which, you know, what, what the truth is. Um, but he can see certain things. And, and in some cases, the, the truth is something that is completely different from what he thinks. And the situation with, uh, with Tabitha, um, and if you haven't read Broken Souls, you might want to plug your ears for this one. Uh, she is uh, she is an avatar of Santa Muerte. Basically, she has become to Santa Muerte what Carter has become to Miklan de Quidley. So it, it's it's different, but they're they're very much 
um, the pawns of these two gods. Um, and that's and that's one of the things that makes things complicated for Carter because he's not quite sure how much of her is actually her and how much of her is Santa Muerte and how much is influenced by Santa Muerte. And then it starts making him question, okay, well, I've got a connection with Miquelin de Quigley, so am I doing what I want to do or am I doing something he wants me to do? And you know, his brain just is is eating itself. Uh, and he tries to go without sleep, and he tries, oh, yeah, you know, he's, he's, so he's driven in this yeah. a lot. He takes a lot of Adderall. So exactly, so he's taking a lot of he's taking a lot of Adderall, and he's trying to go without food and sleep. And meanwhile, yeah, so he's already got all of these doubts, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in play. And if you've ever gone without sleep, which I have, yeah, you don't make you are sense. mad. You yeah you the, you are absolutely driven mad like you just start seeing things and you just don't even know what's up and down and yeah it's bizarre. Um, and he's not good at making. He doesn't make good life choices in general. Right. So you know it kind of it kind of <laughs> expands on that. Um. So in your research with Santa Muerta is um. Did she actually have some sort of consort? Well, uh, because it's, it's a saint. Well, yeah, she's uh, there's there are some connections uh, with uh, with Mictecswat, uh the Aztec goddess of death, but a lot of who she is came over with the Spanish uh, and got co-opted. Uh, by uh, by the indigenous uh, people and just and with Catholicism coming in, it kind of gets slotted into that. Kind of like how uh, voodoo has done with uh, with Catholicism, with Catholicism and, and the saints and the loa and and, and all that. Um, you know, Maman Brigitte in, in voodoo is uh, the only white. Loa, and it's clear that she's the Virgin Mary. So it's things, it's things like that. And uh, Santa Muerte has she's not she's not so much a um, a saint of death, even though that's that's what she's called. She's more of uh, the saint you talk to when none of the other saints are going to do that thing that you really want them to do. So hey. Uh, this guy stole my cows. I, I want to kill him. Okay. Yeah, well, it seems very black magic-ish. It, yeah, and and at the same time, uh, she's also known as a love sorceress, which is which I always thought it was interesting. As you, this this dichotomy um, of uh, on the one hand this this frightening visage, and on the other. Uh, bringing people together, and at the same time, um, ushering people to death. Um, so there is a there is, I think, a lot of misunderstanding, particularly in uh, uh, in the press that likes to look at something and go, "Oh my God, Satanism!" or "Oh, black magic and narco culture," you know, and, and all that crap, um, and she has those aspects, but that's not entirely who she is. So it, it, it gets it, it gets really odd. 
Um, and she's uh, she's got a huge following just just in Mexico, but it's it's extended throughout the world. There's um, here in LA, you can you can see we've got uh, at least two uh, churches to her. Uh, one of them is actually in a strip mall next to uh, a laundry mat and Chinese <laughs> fast food place. It's hysterical, um, and and there you know it's it's large, it's really a, it's a botanica and, and you can go in right. and get the candles, um, but then you can go uh, you know in, into an area like uh, Boyle Heights or hell even just downtown Los Angeles and um, go to you know a local you know corner grocery place and you can buy Santa Muerte candles. Um, I mean, she's just, she's all over the place and, um, she's not, she's not locked into, I think any particular, um, orthodoxy. She, so she's, she's like her own religion. Yeah. And who she is and how she is, I think kind of shifts depending on who's doing the, the interpretation. And, and that's, I, I think, something that's common to a lot of uh folk gods, folk saints, things like that. Uh everybody's got their own particular spin of a story. You know, um it wouldn't surprise me if in 20 years we see more uh focus on uh her her as a love sorceress than we do on the whole thing with death. You know, look at look at uh, uh satanism. You know, at one point right. it's like, oh yeah, Satan, and now it's like, yeah, we we actually are are more about human rights. Yeah, you know? I know. It's um, like we're really about you know like making your own choices. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're, oh, okay, and and oddly, it actually fits. Yeah. Um, and, and I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that happen, uh, but it would it would take a while. Um, I remember having a conversation with somebody and uh, who grew up uh, with that and her interpretation. Uh, was very much on a in the trenches kind of viewpoint. She didn't see Santa Muerte as you know anything that's particularly worship worthy, but um, you know it, she's she's when the chips are down, this is who you go to. You know, no other no saint is going to help you get revenge, but Santa Muerte will. Um, and at the same time, there's also a, a level of uh, respect and honesty that I think shows up with her that you don't necessarily get uh, the same way. Because in the end, she only really demands she only really demands you know one thing that that you're going to die, or that's what she promises, and and her demands are really like okay. If you do this, then this will happen. Like, okay, yeah, um, somebody stole my cows. All right, well, go and do this thing, and if you do something bad after you've gotten the cows back, then it's all going to fall apart and fuck you. You know, there are always these little strings attached, and um, – wow, I completely lost my thought there. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, being being a, a, a folk saint um, – I think she's much more open to interpretation by the people who are uh, who are actively worshiping her. You know? Well, I think that's you know you brought up the Loa, and I think that's um, the small amount of research I've started to do there is um, 
that people choose to dedicate themselves, well, just like in Catholicism, there's all different levels and types and whatever. Um, people choose to dedicate themselves to a specific uh, person or, you know, spirit. And then that's actually like, it sort of like becomes part of when you're actually reading their name and their whole big full name with title and stuff like that, it includes which spirit they're, um, they're actually part of. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's why like the names like seem like so long and long and long. And, um, you know, there's, there's color associations Mm -hmm. and, um, they've got their own symbols, their own signs. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what's interesting is because a lot of the the pagan teachings that are done now are very, like, Anglo-Saxon and Nordic. Yeah. Or Greek. And um, so I, it's like, it's this, this, everything, like, from the South and Africa seems so new, like, I, you know, it's like one of those things where it's kind of brushed upon, like, oh, by the way, this exists, like in social studies, like, mm-hmm. you know, this, this thing exists, but now we're moving on and we're going to take three months talking about Greeks and Romans. Right. <laughs> Just because that's who we are. Like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Um, yeah. And and a lot of detail and uh, and nuance gets shoved aside, you know, or, or, or more hidden. Um. And one of the things, like one of the things uh, different, because there are a lot of similarities between how voodoo does things and um, uh, worship of Santa Muerte, in that there is sort of a, a synchronization between uh, old world gods, new world gods, all these different, you know, different things coming together. You know, the, the loa are. Uh, saint are, are, are basically the saints, but at the same time, they're also some of the African gods that people brought over with them. So you've got that kind of thing, and I think Santa Muerte is is similar. Um, and she's like I was saying before, she's a little more European than she is uh, indigenous to Mexico. And actually, if you look around, you'll see versions of her uh, all over the place. Um, with different names, like they call her something different in in Portugal, but the ideas are are largely the same. Um, and well, I imagine that happens with the the Madonna anyway, oh, yeah. because there's also, um, you know, the, I mean, every the, there's the probably most commonly seen version, though you know, a very white version. Mm-hmm. But then there's the black Madonna, mm-hmm. um, and then. Um, you know, we can get into the whole Mary Magdalene thing right. some other time. I suppose that's all. <laughs> let's let's do a three book series on that together. Um, <laughs> and so it's you know it's just interesting because to have a female figure central is has you know it's only made a resurgence like in um, I don't want to say pop culture because it sounds terrible, but um, able like not a cult like able to talk about openly since mm-hmm. like the 60s you know it's like otherwise it was secret right at least you know up here i'm speaking in like up here in in the u.s like yeah 
I'm I'm in a, I'm in literally like you know white bread world where uh-huh. I am. You're in L.A., so I can't well, even imagine. Me, there there are parts. There are parts. Mostly not, but there there are parts. Um, yeah, and and I think uh, you know Santa Muerte being worshipped as a folk saint for a really long time. Uh, something finally popped, and I think that was uh, largely due to the connection to the narco culture. Um, you know, you, you see, you see these uh, guys from uh, Lame and uh, uh, you know up here, and and uh, gangs are scattered around or wherever, and they've got they're all wearing tattoos of the same imagery. Um, and they start talking about how, you know, Santa Muerte is going to protect them or take them home or whatever. And people start looking at that and going, okay, wait a minute, what, what exactly is this? And there, there has not – there have been very little actual scholarly studies done. Um, there is one, and I, I'm going to – I can't even remember his last name, but it's called Devoted to Death. Um and god damn it now I need to... Is that who you cited at the back? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um cuz I did notice that there was um you know that you you know you made a point of talking about yeah, who yes. uh yeah. yeah uh Andrew Chestnut. He is um uh he's a professor I think in Virginia and he's uh you know studies religion catholicism uh and has made a study of santa muerte and the religion and and all that <clears throat> excuse me it's an excellent book it's it's because nobody has gone and said okay really how does this fit into the context of everything else you know i mean it's um Religions don't don't just spring up overnight. Uh, you know, where did this come from? What are its influences? What is it influencing? And uh, that's really the only the only um, book out there. And and he's probably one of the very he's one of the very few researchers who are actually taking it as a serious uh, scholarly. Uh, um, subject for 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 investigating, and uh, the book was good for me. Uh, not so much in, hey, this is this is what you know Santa Marta is all about. But going, okay, I don't like this. I want to make it this way. But at least I know what the truth is when somebody calls me on it, because that's that's actually come up a couple times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's you know. It, it, it's we're st- we're still talking about fiction. And, yeah, yeah, but you know, at the same time we're, we're but we're dealing with real belief exactly. structures, which um, you know is obviously why a lot of uh, indigenous people were very upset with J.K. Rowling, including them mm-hmm. in her world, because they're like, we don't belong in your world. Your world was made up. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though there was like other than actual people being in the fantastic beasts and where to find them movie there was like you got to see that the mage council was diverse but the fact that these people were included it was like 
but they don't belong there because you're talking about, right. you know, made up fantasy and we're talking about this is really who we are. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been called on that yet. And I say yet because you're not J.K. Rowling. Not JK Rowling. <laughs> um, but also there are there are scenes uh, in the books uh, or subjects like Santa Muerte that I can definitely see and some people have. Uh, have problems with, um, and it just it just you know everybody's got their own particular uh, uh, topic, own particular way, a thing that they that is important to them, and um, as much as possible, I want to I want to respect that and make sure that I'm I'm going okay. Then if I screwed this up, then I can't fix it in a published book, but maybe I can do something about it later. Uh, you know, it's the same conversation where talking about um, you know diversity in books. We may not get it right, but jumping up and down and, and getting defensive is not the way to deal with not us not getting it right as authors. Um, right. And I mean that you know you look online and you can see so many shitstorms. Oh yeah, that, that I mean car- mostly, carve the mark. Right, that mostly come out of somebody getting defensive and pushing back and going, nah. You know, because yeah. somebody said, well, con- well, this is racist. Like, uh. Yeah, the continent was completely, like, pulled, basically. The book was, like, ready to come out. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they pulled the book before it was on shelves, and the author agreed to rewrite it um, for, you know, those very, like, you know, mm-hmm. hers was, like, extraordinarily offensive, <laughs> the excerpts that were posted. You know, like, red savages and, like, you know, right. this white girl goes to this island to, you know, because it's a vacation to watch these red savages fight each other. Yeah, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't look good. Yeah, it was, you know, and I understand, like, and then I, like, I read her response and I felt for her because I was, like, she was, like, well, that's not what I had in mind at all. Like, I wasn't, she just wasn't thinking. Yeah. Like, she was thinking of Tolkien. And it's, like... You know, she's like, oh, well, I made the Black Savages based on the orcs. And it was like, yeah. Understand your your It didn't come out. Context, yeah. It, it just didn't come out that way. So, um, but this is, you know, I'm glad that we could segue into the writing process and how you got there and how we, you know, how we do this and we can fuck up and we can just say, okay, I'll we try to fix it We fuck up all the time. time. We do fuck up all the time. Absolutely, we fuck up all the time. Um you know, I, you know, hey, yeah, no, we're not all going to be J.K. Rowling. So when when people come after her on Twitter, it's going to be a whole different ballgame. Yep. Yes. Like, you know, like, I mean, I don't know if you've gotten into anything, but, I, you know, when, when Chuck Wendig, you know, just had a mention of a gay character in a book. Oh, yeah. It caused a shitstorm. Like, oh, it, wasn't yeah. even a, it wasn't even about that character. Yeah. It's like, oh boy. You know, yeah. just, oh my God, you referenced homosexuality. Ah, yeah. You know, and, yeah. Yeah. And here you and I are talking about Satanism, and it's like, well, you know, bring it on. And, and I, I, well, see what you got, Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think also, um, I'm, I'm nobody. Um, and not to say that, that, you know, I'm, less talented or, or anything from of uh, from other authors and knowing other authors like Chuck um, he's a bigger target 
Right. And and he wrote a book that is a really big target. You know, he's he's been doing stuff with Star Wars. Yeah, and so that's obviously going to get yeah, like I mean, he could have I mean, people are giving him shit about um the use of like English words for some kind of um for some animal on a planet or something. And you look at that and go, wait a minute. So, so you have a problem with I don't know, it's like hamsters or something. I don't know, but and, and they jumped on that one. And okay, wait a minute. So you have, but you have no problem with the word millennium or falcon or the <laughs> biblical name Luke, or right. you know, and on and on and on. Um, and really, at that point, they're just looking for something to to get pissy about. And. Um, there are a lot of people out there who just want to get pissy about things. You know, they want to pick a fight. Well, I'm glad that they had, you know, nobody's taken taken issue with anything you've done because they, I mean, these oh, stories they, they are have. they have. Yeah, okay, well, I mean, ultimately the, they're, they're they're entertaining. I mean, that's the point of them is that they're meant to be entertainment. They're, this is not a history book that you've written. Oh yeah. Um yeah, I mean the the most of the criticism I have gotten has been uh the either the swearing which that's fine i mean it's not your thing it's not your thing um and how uh brutal some scenes have been because there there's there there are some really brutal scenes in at least particularly in dead things um and i understand and at the same time it's not like this isn't the Dresden Files, you know. He's he's not a good person. He's not somebody who is you know on the side of right. He's in he's on his own side, and um, these are noir. You know that that that's really the direction that I that I, you know, wanted to to write them in, and uh, if it's not your thing, then you shouldn't read it. I, I've actually I've actually dissuaded some people. You know, somebody would come up to me at, at uh, a con or a signing and we'd talk about the book, and they'd ask me, well, is it, you know, how would this be for this kind of person? It's like, oh, yeah, no, you do, don't, don't give this to your grandmother. Right. You know, I had, um, I, had <laughs> I think it was Phoenix, uh, Phoenix Comic Con. Uh, this kid comes up, he's probably like 12, and his mom and... He's just looking at, at all the books, and he sees mine, and, go, and he reads the back, and she reads the back, and goes, "Wow, this is neat." And I, and and he asks her if he can get it. And I'm not going to tell somebody, "Hey, don't read a book," you know, "Don't read," you know, I, I don't want I don't want to dissuade someone from reading anything that they happen to want to. But at the same time, I want them to know what they're getting into if it's mine. And uh, and I said, "Okay, well," and I'm looking at the mom and say. You should know there's some language stuff. There's a lot of violence, you know, and I, I laid it out and she's like, okay, okay, all right. And they bought it anyway, but she was, she was informed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's good. Yeah. I mean, I have had that um, because one of the comic short stories I wrote is in a book where the theme is about bullying. So, um, 
they're not necessarily all ages, even because bullying mm-hmm. happens at every age. So my story in particular was very teen centric. It was really, a, you know, for that age group. Um, so when somebody sees like, oh, well, the cover is this cute, adorable girl, like little girl wearing a superhero outfit. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but that's one of the stories. It's like, I just got to tell you, read it first, figure out which stories you want your kid to read. Then, you know, then you can go ahead. Um, but I, the descriptions that you have, um, it, it was it was interesting though that when you're saying like don't, you know if the book's not for you don't buy it because um, I actually had that Twitter exchange with Chuck and he's delightfully not offended when you know when somebody says this like the first Miriam Black book I loved the second one was so grotesque no I'm like I'm like I oh, I'm like I had a really hard time with this I kind of like I kind of want to throw up and um. So I didn't even try the third book and now there's going to be another three. And it's like, and I love her so much that, that I'm like so torn. I'm like, I don't know if it just keeps getting more gross. I don't know. So um, like there are these, uh, these two scenes that you have that I wanted to describe for people because of how they kind of made me get like on the border of, oh, this is just, this is my prank. Um, the first one is the Island of the Dog. Oh yeah. You saw the, the, Ah, oh, Christ, I can't remember the well, but yeah, yeah. dolls. Uh, I, I have to so say it the English way. I know I'm, I'm slaughtering that. I'm anyway. Yeah. And and you have this one, like these two sentences here. Cupid dolls, porcelain dolls, clown dolls, rag dolls, troll dolls, bobbleheads, marionettes, puppets. And nailed to each doll is a child screaming ghost. And it's just... The torment, you just, you just feel tormented. Like, can you, like, it's bad enough that this guy, Eric Carter, has to walk around and everywhere he goes, like, ghosts are in every room with him. I mean, that's creepy as hell. Like, there's just always spirits around him. But then when you get to tormented children nailed to dolls in a tree, it's a whole new level of, oh, my God, the after, like, this is supposed to be the afterlife. Why aren't they in a, in a heaven? Like, mm-hmm. And um, and then the other scene was where you're um, this first last, well, sort of like the I don't know if it was the first or the second ring of ring of this hell underworld that you have um, is talking about how the every single thing that's there invisible is like made out of bone, uh, made out of bone and people. flesh. And yeah. So the cars, like they have these Flintstone cars that are made out of like yeah, bones sort of, sort of and, a sort of a Flintstones Mad Max kind of situation going on there. Yeah, so I was like, and that's what was awesome was the humor lightened it up enough for him to be like, this is something out of the fucking Flintstones, um, and I don't know how the fuck these cars go. Like you know, it's like they're just bones and flesh and you know, mm-hmm. like whatever. And then these crazy dead spirits. Um, you know, piled on with, you know, 12 of them hanging on to one of these weird cars. Uh, it, it was just, it's one of those things where it was, it, it brought it up so that it wasn't so disgusting. Okay. <laughs> it, I'm like, okay, okay. This is like, I could actually be laughing at this. Um, 
but yeah, obviously, tormented children is a whole other ballgame. Yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I thank you for that because that's exactly the the uh, reaction that 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 whole scene is going for. Yeah, and his reaction mm-hmm. to it is again, he's like, I have to make a decision. Yeah, here, and you know, so his reaction to it, and then he, you know, it's like, well, that was was that the wrong decision? I don't know, but he had to do it anyway. He did it anyway. And and I think. And I, I'm a little torn on this on on you know, and I and I wrote the guy. Um he thinks he's a worse person than he really is. And some of that is he's kinda of clinging to it, and some of that is he honestly doesn't see it. Uh and sometimes he is a horrible person. He'll he'll make decisions that you know, just yeah, just, you know, can't can't even can't even process. Okay, why did you do this thing when you knew that this was going to happen? Um, and uh, you know, so he does that, but at the same time, he's not, you know, he's not a robot. He's not a sociopath. Uh, he's, I think, pretty emotional in general. Uh, mostly pissed off a lot of the time, but. Um, you know that that scene uh i think kind of kind of cements that who he is because he does have to make a choice and the choice that he makes uh i think ends up showing very much who he really is uh and and that's one of the reasons i i wanted to have that and also just the the island is is a goddamn creepy place Right. You know, I haven't right. I haven't been down there. Uh, I've been to Mexico in like twenty five years or something, but um, you see, you know, photos online, and it's okay. Yeah, that is really fucking creepy. Oh my god! Yeah, I can't even. All the all the dolls everywhere. Well, and, see, it right. This, it reminded me. I think I might have actually made a note. Um, in the like in the Kindle, you can actually like highlight stuff and make notes. I think I actually made a note in there that it sounds like something from weird New Jersey because there was um, there was a forest or something. Um, I can't even remember what town it was in where they found mannequin parts, like just mm-hmm. a mountain of mannequins from like, you know, old fashioned store windows, whatever. And it was like nobody could remember how they got there. So after decades, 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 it's just this weird, creepy dumping ground of creepy mannequins. <laughs> And and this place has this place has a similar feel, at least in in the photos. Um, but everybody knows where the dolls came from. Yeah, that's yeah that that takes on this whole yeah. new horror story. Yeah, level. and the and and the there's the official story Tabitha tells him, and what really happened, and right. the official story is the one that really happened. Okay. You know, so no, there's there, yeah, yeah. yeah, it wasn't any of yeah. So <laughs> not in real life, just in my sick twisted mind. Um there we we already talked about having like a god and a goddess uh figure playing pawns with these people. But then you bring in a third god um which I'll attempt Quetzalcoatl. Uh, Quetzalcoatl. Yeah. Okay. I've so, just just as a as a side, Nala yeah. is a pain in the ass to pronounce. 
and that, yeah. that's that's the the language, and because they put L's at the end of everything, uh, like following a T, so it's a TL, and it's actually more of like this gargling hiss out of the back of your teeth. So it's it's not nawattle, it's nawattle. Ah. Uh-huh. You know, and just I I still can't do it right. But. Okay, so this is the big winged snake serpent thing. Exactly, yes. Um, that guy. So when you decided to bring in this third powerful, or you know, trying to regain power because it basically lost it, like um, like the other two, there all these three are trying to regain their power and stuff. How did you keep these subplots organized in your writing process? I'm not sure I ever really did. Well, I, I knew I knew that Quetzalcoatl was going to show up in Hunger Ghosts when I wrote a particular scene in Broken Souls, um, and I got through that and went, okay, what what might really be happening here? And then you know, kind of figured that out, and that fit uh, uh, really well with with what I was doing for Hungry Ghosts. Um, but I have this tendency to not write a lot of background down. So it tends to stick in my head. Uh, I actually uh, there, there's a there's a style guide that uh, that the publishers will will put together for for a book, and it's all the okay. This is how this word is spelled, and this is what it is. This is this character does this. This character is this, and so on. And um, I got a copy of that from uh, from my publisher because I could not remember uh, a particular what a particular character was supposed to have or do and I couldn't find it in the books um, and I know people who've created wikis to keep yeah. track of that and I'm trying to at this point and I'm, I'm hoping to use that as a base but my organizational skills are are not the best you know I outline but it tends to be fairly it used to be much more detailed. Now it's a lot more sketchy. Um, but in terms of keeping everything straight, uh, some of that I didn't figure out until I was actually in the middle of writing Hungry Ghosts, because I knew how it, I knew with this particular story arc of of three books, and there there are three more after, and hopefully there will be many more after that. Uh, I knew at the beginning how it was going to end and what the situation is, uh, but I had no idea how I was going to get there or all the different pieces that were going to have to put get put in play in order to make that work. And um, doing a thing in, in Broken Souls that kind of led into Quetzalcoatl, uh was useful because it also um, – there, there are some things that happen that are a good setup for other books down the line. And you know some of that was was um, I like this. It's a you know a, a cool bit of story. It's a I, I like this character and and another part is a little more strategic. Going okay, great, I can use this, you know, two books down. Um, and you keep that in your head. Yeah, that's impressive. I it doesn't always stay there. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't come out with the scotch. I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. The drinking it just kind of kind of fades away. Um, yeah, and and I think also for me, um, to me the, the the books are actually pretty simple. I, I think they're pretty linear. 
um, you know, I, I don't go into a lot of uh, I don't go into a lot of subplots. I think, uh, and also everything from is from Carter's point of view. So there, there's a challenge. There's a challenge there that he doesn't know everything, and he's going to make decisions based on what he knows. So I want to make sure that he's getting across to the reader what he's thinking and allowing the character to be wrong. Um, but at the same time, I want to be able to explain what's actually going on. And this is one of the things that, that got convoluted at the end because there's what Carter thinks is happening and then there's what's really happening. And he – Figure he doesn't figure it out. He ends up getting getting told, but um, keeping that balance of uh, you know telling the reader this is what's going on and telling the reader this is what he thinks is going on and kind of lead them down um, and sometimes you know like a really good mystery. Uh, you can get to you can usually get to the end, and if you look back through all the all the the pieces in there, you can go, okay, it's this person because this this mm-hmm. this this this, and you may have red herrings all over the place and 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 all that, and uh, that's tough to pull off. Uh, it's particularly it's tough for me to pull off. So, um, you know what I, what I tried to focus on more was uh, Carter's viewpoint. Um, that, I, I tend not to do like third person very often, um, rather third person and, and bounce from character to character, uh, just because it is easier for me to keep it all in my head if I'm, if I'm looking through one perspective. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Cause I'm the opposite. I'm like, I don't think I could stay in one person's head like that. The, like, it's, I, I do a very omniscient sort mm-hmm. of approach and and the, the, i i know some I mean, there's some writers exactly like that it's like wow first person really how do you do that yeah it sounds it sounds so hard and and for me um i have that problem with like third person omniscient and doing the this character scene now this character scene and and so on uh because i want to make sure that i'm giving the reader the the experience that they want, but also the information that they need without revealing the things that they aren't supposed to see yet. And mm-hmm. third person for me, that, that becomes really difficult because if I've got the uh, perspective of the protagonist and the perspective of the antagonist, I'm going to have to hide something. And and I see this a lot in uh, in that uh, particularly in, in thrillers where uh, the ta- the antagonist will just be some shadowy voice, you know, in the corner or something. You have no idea what it is. The writer doesn't give a name and you just know it as the man or, or whatever. And um, it feels cheap to me. I understand it and I've used it, but it feels kind of like, okay, this is this is kind of gimmicky. Like how do I uh, – how do I – hide who this is while still having this character show up and be the antagonist and be engaging. Um, 
you know, without saying, oh, yeah, and it's so-and-so. And um, I, I, find that re- I find that really tough to do. Whereas with first person, um, you know, you can have five people in front of you and you have no idea what they're thinking because you're all coming from that one single point of view. Uh, so for me, that's that's been easier. Um, and at the same time, there have been challenges. I had uh, City of the Lost. Actually, I had I had a lot of trouble with, which is my first book. And that one, um, it's first person from the perspective of a man who isn't stupid, but he's uneducated. So there's a lot of things he he simply doesn't know. So I had uh, I got a copy edit back. Um, with a uh, with a comment on on one of the things that he says that was wouldn't this word be better and say the same thing you know and and not be quite as plain and uh i i thought about it and i went back to like yes you're absolutely right and he wouldn't know what that word is right you know so trying to trying to okay i i have to dumb it down enough because it's in, in first person and it's that character's voice, whereas if I step away and be do third person, I can write it however the hell I want. And so there's there's trade offs there. The it, since well, like you said, Eric Carter is um, he's complex and he he has his own codes as opposed to following our typical law enforcement based codes of morality. That's, that's a good way of putting it. Um, do you have any interest in doing something first person from the actual villain's point of view? Like somebody who really is um, horrible and evil? Um, that I That I think gets to be tough. Because there, there, are, there are some people who can pull it off, and in noir, it, it's it's actually I think a lot easier to pull off than in a lot of other genres. Um, because you have to you have to skirt this line of yes, he is he's really a horrible person, and he really is doing horrible things. Um, with the reader going, why the hell am I reading this? And you know they have the the whole thing of you know make your make your character sympathetic, which I I don't buy. I I, I actually don't uh-huh. like it uh, because I, I I think it's I think it's limiting and I, and honestly I think it's bullshit. Um, but you need to make them compelling, and there are cheap tricks to do that. I think which is make the protagonist funnier than uh, everybody else, and so it, it kind of like, ends up as a sort of stand-in of well, he's got he's got better lines, so you know, I, I like this character, and eh, maybe you do, maybe you don't, um, but it, it feels kind of cheap. Uh, and another more complicated way of doing it, I think, is um, getting in their head enough where you can see maybe why they're doing what they're doing, because that's really the context that that is missing. Uh, when you are with, with certain with certain um, points of view, uh, first person, you always know what's going on in the person's head. Um, third person, uh, best one I've seen that that's done it, uh, the Maltese Falcon. Uh, there is nothing in the book 
that says what Sam Spade is thinking. Everything is his physical reactions to things, and it's up to the reader to go, okay, what does this mean? What are you really doing? Because there's there's no context there. Um, and I think doing a doing a villain and not getting that context, you're not going to necessarily be able to um, have a character that is uh, that's overly sustainable. You know, they might be able to last a book. Um, Jim Thompson's characters, you know, uh, Pop Twelve Eighty. Uh, uh, killer inside me, you know. You get you get that these are horrible people that you're following around, um, and sometimes you get context and sometimes you don't. But when you do get context, uh, it it shifts uh, a lot of things. I remember hearing a, a an interview with Matt Damon about uh, the talented Mr. Ripley, and he went, you know, he goes to the director and says. I can't do this. Look at look at this guy that I'm I'm playing. I don't know how to do this. I mean, he's he's a monster. He does horrible <laughs> horrible things to people. You know, this this is this is like worse than, you know, just a vague villain. How how do I justify myself doing these things as an actor? You know, how 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 to look at it. And the director says, "No, no, no, you got it all wrong." You see, he's right. He's absolutely right. He is – he goes and he kills people, and he steals identities, and he does these horrible things, and the reason he does it is because he deserves having the life that he wants to have. It's owed to him, and, and, and basically just telling him uh, about, these, about these things and, and him going, oh, oh, okay, now, yeah, because now he's got, he's got his context. Uh, yeah, usually they say that, um, you know, the actors think that playing the villain is freeing and fun and challenging in a way that playing the hero isn't. And and that's where something like Talented Mr. Ripley becomes difficult because you're, people people have a tendency to mix up protagonist with hero. Right, absolutely. And, uh, and Ripley is not a hero <laughs> at all. <laughs> uh, but he was, you know, he was able to he was able to like bring that to the performance, and like since he's got the context, since he has he has Ripley's context, he can um, he can work with that. And then after, of course, after the movie comes out and he sees it, he's like, oh my god, I, I I played this horrible person, you know, where he actually sees it in context of everybody else, and um, you know, you, and you get that you can do that more easily in uh, in some points of view than you necessarily can't in others. Um, kind of like unreliable narrators that way. They're they're tough to do because you have to have you have to either have the character contradict themselves and show to the uh, the reader that. There is um, there's something wrong going on here, um, or you have to have a different point of view to compare it against. You know, if you've got you know uh, most of the book where this this person is talking about this is what happened to me, and then you flip over into another section, or throughout you get other points of view that maybe contradict what's being said. Um, then you know the the reader the reader can you know get okay this this is this is 
not a narrator I can trust. Um, because if you don't have if you don't have that, I think it can get um, I think it can get difficult to really understand what's happening, and and, and things can become a little too muddled. Um, and there, there are good ways to do it and bad ways to do it. And um, I, I think I think Thompson does a, a really good uh, you know really good with uh, the killer inside me. But uh, there's one book called Kiss Me Judas by Will Christopher Bayer that I, I always I always go back to. Um, and I'll pick it up, you know, I'll read it like two or three, four times a year, um, just to remind me of certain things. Uh, and this is a character that the character, you know, he's insane. You know, he's had a, a massive breakdown and you can't be entirely sure. Not, not necessarily that he's telling the truth, which he may not be, but also that he's perceiving the truth. Um, you know, he's things happen, and he's told certain things, and he he knows certain things, but he has questions about it. So he wakes up in a uh, he wakes up in that you know that uh, urban legend where he's in a bathtub full of ice. There's blood everywhere. Oh no! Phone, so like he's missing and, a kidney. Exactly, and you know it starts where he ends up uh, hooking up with some woman, goes up to the up to the room. Next thing he knows, he's in ice. Um, and he keeps, you know, they, they take him to the hospital, they, they fix him up and he keeps saying, okay, so did she take my kidney? Your kidneys are fine. How do I know you're telling me the truth? Well, I'm the doctor. Well, how do I know I can trust you? Cause she took something. She did just cut something, you know? Um, actually, I know, I think he ends up not, I'm not sure if he actually ends up getting help. Uh, but but he's got this. He's constantly questioning. Okay, did she take something out or did she put something in? Because things start to kind of go in this in this weird drug direction where he he starts to wonder: Have I been turned into a drug mule? Do I have a bunch of heroin in a cavity in my abdomen right now? Oh and, no! That's, well, it's totally different than the you know an alien implant scenario. Well, yeah, which, but but also you, know? you have no idea how sane he really is because you meet other characters and you don't see what they're thinking but you get their reactions and um so you can you start to go wait a minute why would she act this way if what he's saying actually happened you know and you can never know who to trust and it's and it's really good um he, he handles it very well uh i i have i have shied away from unreliable narrators because I don't know that I can do it justice yet. Um, and I think that if I were to do a, a straight from the villain's point of view, uh, I'd probably want to go in that direction. Um, well, actually, come to think of it, I did, I did write something from the villain's point of view. Uh, I did a Heroes Reborn novella uh, with a crooked, uh, super-powered LAPD officer, and uh, and he's a real asshole, you know. So find okay. it. That, uh, was, start, that, that was from the uh, that was from the the TV, the TV show. show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I, um, you know, everybody fell in love with uh, Siler, 
right? right. That was his name, Zachary Quinto's character, um, who ended up, you know, just being, he was just so, like, a sociopath. Yeah. Like, he just, um, but there was something about him as the bad guy where it was like, but we need to see more of him because we love him for some reason. Yes, well, he's a very compelling character. Yeah. You know, you, you want to you want to look. And, um, you know, with Heroes, trying to think how exactly I did this, the um, it's third person, and it bounces from perspective to perspective. But when it's in his head, his focus is very much on him. So you can – you get – he he's a very selfish person. You know, he's not somebody who's got a lot of empathy. And um you know, so I wanted to make sure I, I had that, but at the same time I still had to have a certain level of context. Okay, well why is he doing it? You know, because he's evil doesn't just doesn't work. Um Well so, let's Yeah, I, I just think it's thinking, I think it can be tough. Thinking, Okay. Thinking about evil. Like you write um, I mean, specifically with the, you know, like that's a super powered thing. And the Eric Carter series is this supernatural fantasy world. Um, and like you're saying, it's still noir because there's still mysteries and um, crime of his, not like, you know, like we said, not law and order crime, but, you know, things, things going on um, tied into real world crimes, like his sister's murder and stuff. Um you could be writing things like espionage or election fraud or bullshit hacking and you choose the supernatural world. And I was wondering which you find scarier. Is it (laughs) (laughs) the real world or the real world or the Um, fantasy world? The, uh, the real world worries me a lot more. Uh, Just because there are, there are things happening and having having um a fictional impossible world is less terrifying than taking the real world and turning it into fiction um michael crichton's books he would do this with uh, the Andromeda Strain or Jurassic Park or anything like that, where there would be enough of a background in science where you could at least make it plausible, and you can point to certain things and go, okay, yeah, they're they're really working on this kind of thing. Um, uh, Chuck Wendig, uh, Invasive. I don't know if you've read that one. It's with uh, – uh, No, I have a bug phobia problem. Oh, then you so don't want to like read this one. Yeah, I'm no, like, no way. No, no. Like, I couldn't even stand the tweets. I'm like, no. Yeah, it's um, all of the stuff that he's put together is uh, is taken out of fact. And, and a lot of those kinds of books do a great job of that where they'll go, okay, well, if I've got this scenario and I've got this thing and I got this thing and I bunch them up together and I make this happen, what would be the effect? And, uh, you know, thrillers are, are a great vehicle for that. Um, but that kind of scenario is more worrying than, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried that uh, zombies are going to, you know, break down the door. I am I'm more concerned about identity theft, you know, or, or, you know, somebody 
bright orange pressing a button in the White House. Um, <laughs> you know, because the, 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 in writing fantasy, it's – I can kind of go off and not uh, not worry so much about um, – the real world as so much. I'm not sure if, if this is making sense. And I know some people who can, who can do that really well. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I like the, I like the supernatural aspect, I think probably because it can't happen. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, you're not worried about grandpa haunting you. No, no. Uh, I used to, I, I've always I've always been fascinated by the paranormal, and I used to be a lot more eh, gullible is probably the the word for it. But you know, there, there's there's a, a level of belief because you want it to be there, and then there's recognizing that okay, no, it's because I want it there, not because it's actually there, and so I I don't I don't think that. I've got answers, but I also am not entirely convinced that there's a real question. You know, are there ghosts? Eh. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't really, I don't really think that there necessarily are. I could be completely wrong, but you know, I've I've seen enough, um, you know, seen enough, read enough to know that okay, there are a lot of reasons why people think there are ghosts. And more often than not, you can point to things and go, "Yeah, no, that's because of this thing over here." Um, so I've I've definitely become much more skeptical. Um, but at the same time, I I hope I can keep maintaining some kind of open mind. You know, because you never know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's. I think a lot of people will say something like that. They'll be like, "Well, I don't really know, but." Um... Whereas I'm like, um, something just fucking moved my sweater, and there's no cat crawling around my legs right now. <laughs> so. And and that is and that is a totally different. Uh, you know, I mean that that's a, a thing that you're running into. Uh, yeah. You know, that's a direct experience. Um, um, and I've I've had, I think everybody has had inexplicable things happen, um, and sometimes it's just something they didn't see, and sometimes there's just something else going on you know they're they're yeah sometimes it is just the heater clunking right. but when something touches you at that point it's like what the fuck was that i'm standing here by myself <laughs> um but yeah it's terrible if i'm by myself and it's the middle of the night and the heater's clunking i'm like okay how far am i from the gun safe right, right. now <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, but yeah, it's, it is different because like, we'll swear that, um, like, you know, you see something run by and it's like, oh, it must be the cat. And then you're like, but the cat's over here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I don't know when, I don't know. Ghost cat. You know, it's we've had Jersey a lot devil. of them. Jersey devil things. Yeah. Yeah. We're not in the pineys, but, um, we're, it's yeah it's like i said weird new jersey is a great magazine because of how fucking weird shit is around here you got a lot of bears um, out there we do well except that they just killed like another yeah i, I heard about that 
Yeah, yeah, we do. We did have bears, but there's definitely there's bear poop in the yard. So I'm happy to say that there's at least somebody still here. Pooping um, in the yard. Yeah, they are pooping in the yard. Um, but I'm yeah, because I'm furious about the bear hunt because they killed like a a a bear that was disabled and popular. Like people oh. people loved this bear, and nobody minded it coming into their yards and digging through their garbage because you know, mm. it needed help and it was a surprise that it kept living to begin with. And one of these asshole hunters like was like thrilled that he killed this bear that everybody loved. It was you know, like the idiot that mm. killed Cecil the Lion. Yeah. You remember? Yeah. So yeah, it was it was very much like that. It was our own little New Jersey version. And I'd you know I'd like to write a story about him because he was called Petals the Bear. And so I would like to write a story about him somehow. But um I don't know how to work it you know, what to do just yet. And um, which basically like, you know, rounds out like sort you know, what I, I know we've, we've grown over an hour. I hope you don't mind. No, that's fine. OK. Um, I know one of the things that you talked about um, recently, because you, you do have like beautiful covers and um, you've got you've been working, I guess, with an artist or something for the, the tarot cards um, or I don't know if they're the, called the tarot. I forget what called. Yeah. Lotria. Sorry. Um, so. The you were talking about, you know, wouldn't it be cool if the Eric Carter series found its way into comics? And I didn't know if that was just something you were daydreaming about or if you were working on a plan. Um, actually, that came from somebody else that, okay. that, that did that. And and uh, well, the the artist is Galen Dara. And uh, I wanted I, I wanted some book swag. I wanted stuff to give to people when I go to a signing rather than ah, here's my book. Um, and so I commissioned, uh, five pieces of artwork to make into cards based on Loteria and they're not, one of them is very much not a Loteria card and that's, uh, La Bruja. Uh, they're all, they're all basically character cards, uh, but there is no, uh, Bruja card in, in Loteria, but the others there are El Valiente, uh, you know, the Valiant, uh, the Heart, um, uh, the Devil and Death. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Bruja's witch, and uh, they're all based on some aspect of of the books. And somebody made a comment uh, after seeing them that uh, they would love to see a you know Galen Dara drawn uh, Eric Carter comic. And I was like, that would be awesome. It's not going to happen, but that would be awesome. <laughs> um, you know, it would be it would be fun to to do. And and I one of these days I actually want to do something with comics. Um, you know, I I just haven't gotten to that point yet. Um, and it would I think it would be I think it would be fun, but at the same time, um. I I just don't know how I would do it. Okay. You know, because you were you've already said that you're planning three more books. Yeah. So, um, what kind of schedule do you keep for that? Well, do you do like a I'm, book a year? Uh, yeah. What I'm trying to do is well, they're, they're they're spaced out a year at a time, and uh, one of the problems with Hungry Ghost is that it was ridiculously late by like a year and a half, and. Um, uh, when I finally turned it in, 
you know, it was right before it was supposed to go out. And, uh, you know, and they said, just, you know, you realize that this this is now out of the schedule and it's going to have to be bumped way back because they had other books in the pipeline. So, you know, it, it couldn't have come out any sooner. And um, I'm trying to never blow a deadline like that ever again. So I'm I'm trying to focus on uh, getting the books out. You know, on time. This this next one is due in July, um, and you know, I, I just I don't want to be late on it. And then the same thing with the other with the other books. Uh, but yeah, they're they're spaced out about a year apart. Uh, okay. You know, one of the things that screwed me up with the uh, um, with being late with this one so much is that I had taken on some other projects as well. So I did the Heroes Reborn novella. I did some uh, short story work. I did some gaming work. Um, you know, And those things sucked up time. And there were other things going on in life that just made writing a little more challenging than, uh, than, than I would have liked. Um, so a lot of things went into that. So what I'm trying to do is schedule things such that I don't run into that kind of thing, and I, I have no idea how or where I would slot a comic in. Um, yeah, because at that point you're working with an entire team. Yeah. It's not just you and a desk anymore. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, passing it on to editor, passing it on to artist, getting stuff back, looking at it, going, yes, no, this, do this, do that, whatever. Um there's there's a complexity to it I'm, I'm not familiar with, uh, but it is time consuming. Uh, I know that, and uh, I also have a day job, so you know that that's that's one of the the biggest things of you know there's eight to ten hours a day where I can't even think about it. Yeah. So there's there's probably someday. I'd like to do I'd like to do comics, but I don't think it's going to happen for a while. Okay. So would you um, would you ever be open to turning it over, sort of like a, like a license, like having somebody um, else write write it? I hadn't actually thought about that. Uh, okay. I didn't know how. Like some people are like, no, it's my baby. Eh. And well. <laughs> Like, how do you trust, you know? Yeah, well, it's like, else. it's like, um, you know, getting it optioned and yeah. once they, once, once that option, once that is, option there, is there, you got to do anything, they can do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. Um, and uh, I actually had some interest in, uh, from somebody over at, uh, at Fox wanting to do, uh, was looking at, at, Dead Things as a series, and we had a conversation, and I think we both left very clear that we did not want to work with the other person. Um, he, he was very focused on uh, wanting to turn it into a monster of the week kind of thing, and I, I'm thinking, I was like, dude, you're, you, you want to turn this into supernatural is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a lot of those out there. You know, turn this into something where maybe you're doing the first book or the first three book arc. And then that's a different that's a different conversation. Yeah. But 
if you want to just do this and and turn it into you know a monster of the week i i remember what they did with you know the dresden files on sci-fi yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, no no i don't want to go there and um and it was very clear that we were just seeing things very differently um that said if he had come to me and said, hey, yeah, I want to do this as a Monster of the Week. Oh, and here's a fuck ton of money. Right. Then it's like, oh, sure, knock yourself out. <laughs> Different ballgame. Well, because, they, I mean, yeah, people have complained about, oh, the book was better. And, you know, I mean, that's like one of that's a, a trope at this point. Yeah. Or, you know, like there's T-shirts made that say the book was better and stuff. Um, and then other times it's great. Like The Walking Dead has its own fan base and it's veered off from the comic book origins and um but there's people who they're like diehard yeah you know fans of that show so um people from you know that that love the show don't even know it was a comic and, and stuff like that so um so that can happen too but you know i'm sure kirkman's rolling in it I, not, at this point i would hope so i'm sure he's not hurting right now you know the rest of us are worried about, oh, my God, our health care. Yeah, right. <laughs> All you have to do is, you know, make an award-winning comic and then get it uh, optioned off and then get a bunch of money when they actually make it and then be attached as an executive producer. And yep. that's – it's get, easy. Sure. Get leading, Yeah, get these amazing actors and, and yeah, absolutely. And start making games and everything. Yeah. But you have you have an interesting way to get the fans involved, even even though it's not The Walking Dead, um, it's the Eric Carter series. So <laughs> it it is what you know. It's its own world here, and when it becomes The Walking Dead, then I will be plugging this episode like crazy and saying, "Hey, remember I talked to this guy? Uh-huh. Easter term exactly because that would be <laughs> gold then." So, you know, you've asked the fans to pitch in with some, fo- like, a photo contest and drawing contest and whatever kind of creative right, for the card. thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, your deadline is February 10th, right after the book comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're giving them a couple of days to read it. And, yeah, what, what, you know. and maybe some context on that one. I had um, uh, somebody sent me fan art, like, a month ago. Actually, she didn't send me fan art. She tagged me in a Twitter that she did, and it was a very anime uh, type of fan. It was just amazing. And um, at that point, I was already uh, in the process of getting the the cards. And after seeing that and uh, seeing how I mean, the the cards are, are fantastic, um, seeing how they turned out and and everything coming together, what I wanted to do was give them away, give sets of them away. They're just five cards. And um, you know tarot sized uh, cards, and but I didn't want a okay. I'm going to pull your name out of a hat, you know. So what I what I wanted to do was, uh, you know, there's the easy way, which is grab a copy of the book, uh, take a picture of it, send it to me, uh, even if it's on the Kindle, you know, as long as it's identifiable. Um, and that'll get you into an entry because not everybody is going to be uh, particularly crafty or artistic or, or, or whatever. Um, and the other way is send me fan art, send me uh, you know cosplay photos. I remember having a conversation with somebody who uh, this is like a year, year and a half ago, who was saying that she had 
she had wanted to do a, a gender flipped Eric Carter uh, cosplay. And I, I was like, I go for it. That would be awesome. If you ever do this, send me pictures because I want to see this. Uh, and I don't think she ever she never actually did it. But um, for for the contest, what I what I want to do is uh, have people send in, you know, their entries and uh, and it's not limited to drawing. You know, I'm, I'm not I'm not picky. It's just got to be cool. And uh, and then I just pick you know the ones that I like the most, and those people would get the cards. Um, and I'm going to be I'm, I'm actually going to be putting cards up on the web store. I don't have a web store yet, but once I do, I'll have I'll have them up there too. Because uh, the the artwork is just too beautiful to to not do something with them. Right. Yeah. It was it was really cool. Um, but I liked that you had the, you know all these different options because. Um, Chuck has also done contests and cause I, I did a Miriam black. I, yeah. I remember know, that photo, photo shoot and Dwayne Swarzynski has done them before too. So I even did one of his characters and I, and that was like the dead of winter. Um, it was below 30 and, and I was outside trying to take pictures and I remember freezing my butt off. Um, so it's it's just so fun because to see the different ways that people approach them, mm-hmm. you know, and which character they choose and, you know, and whether it's drawing something or a photo of something. And I like, you know, like you said, you're like, hey, even if it's like your own altar, show me what you got. Yeah. And, um, and and people, since you can pre-order the book, I don't want you to think like, oh, you've only got three days to put something together. Since you can pre-order the book now when this episode comes out, um, uh, like Steven said, you can just like, you know, show your Kindle that you've got the book cover there and um and whatnot. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm not gonna and I'm not gonna make a, a decision until after the tenth because I wanna make sure that that for people who are still interested in getting the cards and aren't going to um you know, they're they're not interested in doing, you know, a photo shoot of cosplay or something. Uh, or fan art or, or or whatever. I want to make sure that they've got an opportunity um, to actually get into the the contest for the cards because I, I just I just want to give these out to people. I mean these things are just cool. So they're very cool. They're very cool. So you can find more information at your website. Yes. Um, so stephenblackmore.com. Blackmore with two O's. Two O's. Two O's. And your Twitter is just uh, S Blackmore. S, S Blackmore. Um, awesome. Do you have anything else you want to share before I let you go? I think that's it. Okay. This has been great. I'm so glad that we do this. Me too. This is, this has been fun. Thank you. Um, and you know, you guys can of course follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber and you can go to patreon.com slash Mask to sponsor the show and my work. And you can learn about my books, uh, you know, there through Patreon or, or through amberunmask.com. But um, Stephen's books, uh, he's got a really nice website. If you go to stephenblackmore.com, his books are like, everything is all clear. You have a very nice website. Thank you. I tried. My, my previous one sucked. It's I've I've seen some where I'm like I don't know like you've got an author photo and a bio and all of your books are nice clearly laid out <laughs> it's very nice thank you um 
All right. So actually, actually, uh, and, and also, and also, uh, your book is Cardiac Arrest, right? Yeah, the first okay. one. Yeah. And and do you have a second one yet? The second one's out. Uh, full body manslaughter. Okay, so everybody, cardiac arrest and full body manslaughter. Check them out. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I I, I like plugging other authors. So you do. This is something he does every Friday too, at least once a week. Yeah, I, I I like to do the the you know a big long list of books that are coming out or books that are already out and you know it's and honestly it's just an excuse to plug my own books. Uh, but it's really cool. So yeah, definitely follow him on Twitter if you're looking for book ideas. But uh, and and but go go buy go buy Amber's books. Yes, please do it. Please do, do it now. Please do because um, royalties make me happy. <laughs> do it or I will eat your pets. Yeah, see, he'll sick some like hungry ghosts on you, and apparently that's like one of the worst ways to die. He he gives a very descriptive way of what it feels like. It's apparently horrible. Um, so, all right, Stephen Blackmore and Hungry Ghosts coming out beginning of February 37th. So go get it. 